Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Mitch Lyons is the founder and president of the Social Emotional Learning Alliance for Massachusetts. You can find him at SEL4MA.org. From that organization, he erupted the Social Emotional Learning Alliance for the U.S., Okay, that's SEL for US, which is now in 14 states across the country. Mitch is a former trial lawyer turned basketball coach and has been doing that for more than 25 years. What we talk about in today's podcast is how to nestle SEL or social emotional learning into athletics. Good research is coming out suggesting that social emotional learning, and if you're not totally clear on what the definition of that is, we get into it in the podcast, but how social emotional learning when embedded into the academic environment how that might produce long-term positive results for students. It just makes sense that we would also try to transfer those lessons into the athletic arena, whether that's the basketball court, the field, or the pool. In today's conversation, we'll learn a little bit more about what it is, what it looks like, and how to apply it to your field. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Mitch Lyons. Right. It's like implicitly teaching or explicitly teaching. Very similar. So, right. So it's a, so explicit is what, what social emotional learning is. It's explicitly teaching you about your emotions mm-hmm. uh, and how they affect you and your day. Uh, explicitly teaching you about communication skills, uh, active listening. That's a, a very nuanced thing that you're teaching kids. Uh, like if you, want people to be interested in you, you should, when they speak, you should ask a follow-up question. There you go. About what they just said and what, and explaining what you just did. Because by doing that, they know that you're interested in them. That makes them want to like you more. Yeah. If you ignore them and go right to something that interests you, uh, then they're saying, oh, selfish, egotistical, uh, all about them you know and not about what i just said it's so funny we're talking whether it's dealing with kids um communicating in this way this guy just happened to be a, a hostage negotiator yeah. the art and the nuance of communication is something that is so i mean everyone needs that skill i would suggest have you found ever that um those people who might have a natural inclination who've done it well over the course of years without being able to really name what they're doing. Have you found um, in trying to teach it any pushback almost like a, yeah, I do that already sort of mentality. Uh, Well, I have had that pushback generally not from people actually do what we're talking about. Oh, wow. People who say they do what we're talking about. People who are defensive about, what they're uh, what they're doing, um, and don't want to change it. And I can understand it, but change is what's necessary in sports. The whole model is based upon uh, an early uh, 1900s model set up by a guy named Luther Halsey Gulick. He was a medical doctor, and he actually founded what is now Springfield College. Then it was the YMCA training camp. He made and designed the YMCA insignia, mind, body, and spirit. That was him. Um, And he designed uh, school sports to teach things that are necessary in factories. Wow. Right? And yeah. I'm gonna, I'll read you a quote. These group activities, he's referring to sports, 
involve not merely the subordination of self and the elevation of the group, but involved obedience to a leader, even when he is evidently mistaken, involves self-control, loyalty to the group as a whole. So all of the things around this thing that, but involve obedience to a leader. Mm-hmm. So that's a factory. Don't forget the historical setting here. Right. Is that people were moving off of farms, that rugged individualism, which the the term used uh, in all history classes of the American pioneer, you can do it on your own, mm-hmm. is thrown out the window when you're working in a factory. Wow. So these people came into New York City where he was the physical activity director, the first physical activity director, and he started uh, the New York, uh, it's still going on, I'm having a, um, a public school athletically, it's still going on in New York City. And um, he started that and was basically training boys to work in factories Mm. because you should have followed whatever your boss says, do it. Yeah. Well, now 125 years later, (laughs) we're still doing it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But we don't, but we don't need factory workers anymore. That's not where we are. We need problem solvers, critical Mm -hmm. thinkers, decision makers, ethical, responsible, decision makers. Um, so the whole need for the coach being the, the dictator in, instead of today, what they could be is mm-hmm. the facilitator. Right. So instead of a coach walking in and you have a team and you tell them your expectations, why not turn the question around and ask them, what values would you like to see on this team? Hmm. And do like a pair share, you know, have two people discuss it for a bit and come back with each one different words that describe it. And what you're going to see when it comes out is social emotional learning skills. Right. They're going to come out with on their own, but then it becomes their team. Then you go the next step. So what rules should be on the team? I'm not going to give the rules. You're going to set up the rules. And then you start going down to categories that you know as a coach always happen and have them make up the rules. Not only that, have them make up the consequences of those rules. Yeah. Now it's, you're not the, no longer in charge. You've given what students voice. Mm-hmm. And when people have voice, uh, they, uh, uh learn faster. Uh, it becomes their team they are more dedicated to each other because they made up that team. Uh, the coach still has to, in the middle of the game, make decisions. That, you know, I'm not saying to change that. What I'm saying is find ways in which your players can actually do the work that coaches would do and then tell people. Some coaches, get I get the pushback because they don't want to give up that control right. of people. And you're, you're, that's being changed by, by doing that. My other view is that the phrase children should be seen and not heard, mm. which is actually from the 16th century, has yeah. caused all of the abuse there is. With terrorists, we say, if you see something, say something. Right. But we don't encourage kids to do that when they're being terrorized, literally, uh, by you know, terrible people. So yeah. they don't, you know, so we don't give them that permission. Um, the, those 
those gymnasts who were abused. Oh God! Uh, what? Uh, these were all very intelligent women, girls. Sorry, at the time, girls, and but they were told never say anything. Oh man! And when you think about all of the instances of abuse, it's always coming from that. So social emotional learning is a uh, very uh, a pro student voice. Uh, get them in on decision making. Ask lots of questions of them. Um, so the first change of the factory model that I would make is that coaches are should not be uh, uh, be people who you immediately like in a life and death situation in the army, in the military, I get it. There can only be one letter. It's instant and it's death. Sure. <laughs> so, right. so you need somebody making decisions. You're just going to follow them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is not the case in athletics, which to be truly educational uh, needs uh, more student voice in it. No, I mean, you're totally right. And you're just touching on so many things that are so important to us. So I would even throw in there because you and I are speaking the same language. We are um, on the side of sports as education. And I think these, I think what you've done a really nice job of is outlining certain models. And I'm not in this conversation and in your life, uh, outlining these models for people who are really trying to use sports to the, you know, to their full uh, potential as education. I would even suggest because we're really interested in, Convincing might not be the right word, but kind of showing the light to people who are on the fence who are like, well, this is how I learned it. This is how it was for me. We had, you know, and there's these sort of wicked feedback loops, which are like, this is how I did it. And we won a state championship. So how could that be wrong? So I I would say, though, to your point, not only is education happening in more important and meaningful ways with this model, but I also think encouraging self-awareness, self-reliance. And in, in an athlete, that, that lends itself to problem solving, which lends in higher level execution, execution. And we also, we know this firsthand, ownership. You talk about the, the creation of these ideals. Ownership breeds accountability without question. So instead of, you know, instead of fighting, kind of try to put a square peg into a round hole sometimes because I said so, to quote a coach of that kind, you know, it, it's much different to uphold the standards that the team has outlined for themselves. It's such a more fruitful culture. Yeah. And one that, uh, the, that an open door policy by a coach is actually meant that way because they'll say, wow, this guy, that, you know, when, after you come up with all of the different, uh, uh, values that the team has, when you say that's the team we're going to build, you just built it. It's your team. Yeah. You just tell them right out. (laughs) Like it's, you'll have the greatest time doing it as a Mm -hmm. teacher. It's so enjoyable to watch them because they know what it is that makes a good team. Mm-hmm. You're, and, and what you're doing is letting them do it instead right. of not. But I, I uh, how that information, for instance, what we just got, what we just discussed, gets out to coaches is the second major flaw in the current model is that coaches are given teams and in a very uneducational way are given no curriculum. So if you have 32 teams in a high school, you have 32 different educational products, all coach dependent. Yep. So one part of that goes to the whole thing about 
we have a coach-centric system when we should have a student-centric system. Mm. The second part is that the coaches are not given skills that are across the board important in any performance. So um, they, uh, you don't tell them how to create a positive environment. As the, as the sports psychology is a lot older than social emotional learning, right? It's like a hundred years old, and even back then they said, "Oh yeah, you perform a lot better when you're encouraged." Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, right. Yep. And, but coaches routinely are yelling at their players despite mm-hmm. it, and that's the other pushback uh, I get is they actually don't want to employ the science of sports psychology because it takes away again from. Uh, uh, a power or it's unfamiliar they're mm-hmm. not comfortable especially not comfortable when you get into the emotion part of right and well, that word alone. It. right yeah right so it's a stigma like mental illness is a stigma sure uh, as opposed to a serious disease right so, um, uh, so the second part of the changeover would be that every um coach was given a curriculum of certain things to teach mm. like and things that matter to coaches like focus mm-hmm. right totally right so here's a good example of using social emotional learning for focus you teach them how to do a brief meditation this is in like a team meeting mm-hmm. brief meditation of a minute or two focus on your breath and i want you to then think about uh, when your mind goes off your breath and see how you can get it back mm-hmm. to your yep. breath. So, so afterwards you say, so what did you, you learn? Your thoughts come what? One at a time. There you go. <laughs> so there's the intervening that you can do uh, in your thoughts. You, they come one at a time. But then you say, now I want you, uh, you know, and you repeat it maybe another time or every practice for one minute, say, now my voice, as your coach, when we're instructing on drills or a new play or whatever, I'm your breath. And I want you to think about when it is. And when I snap my fingers, that's for you to think, am I being distracted? Can I bring my mind back? And then with younger kids, I always say, and I know you guys spend a lot of time in classrooms, and I'm sure that 100% of the time you're listening to everything that you say. Of course, they're all laughing right away. And I say, of course, but this is a great place to practice. See how, you know, make it a contest. How How long can I keep thinking without my mind going somewhere else? This is the first step of recognizing thoughts before you can define them. There's a great program at Yale called the Center for Emotional Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, the past director is now the president of Yale. Um, and uh, they have a program there called RULER, R-U-L-E-R, an acronym. And it's all about emotion. And uh, the words go recognize emotion, understand, mm-hmm. label, express, and then finally regulate. Right. So the first thing is recognize. And of course, many people go through their lives without recognizing or labeling or expressing their emotion and what it is and how healthy it is to actually understand it because it has a consequence throughout the day Mm -hmm. and your life and relationships and uh, your work. 
um, it, you know, there's a, a, a combination effect. So uh, the idea is um, to look at uh, uh, these um, emotions as a way of, uh, uh, and the way of getting to them, that all has to do with focus. It's all recognizing thought. Yeah. Like, is it distracted? Is it listening? Is it evaluating? Am I using my cognitive frontal cortex or am I just being the amygdala guy? Because we are feeling creatures who think, not thinking creatures who feel. Without a doubt. That's the uh, quote by a brain scientist, actually. We perceive ourselves as thinking creatures who feel, but in biology, we're actually feeling creatures who think because the amygdala fires up upon seeing somebody saying, you know, situations, that's the first thing that fires up is our emotion center. Everything goes through there first. So. That's exactly right. I, I hope I would encourage anyone listening to look into that just a touch because you're, you're exactly right. The, the, the limbic system, the animal side of us activates first, and then we essentially shift activation to the cognitive, you know, the, 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 the parts that make us human, I would say, would be the easiest way to do it. The, right. the outer cortex of the brain, which has all of our thinking and processing. And like you mentioned, prefrontal is the executive function. So right. navigating complicated situations. But um, if you, and, and, I, and I'm bringing this back to those coaches you were kind of alluding to, if a, if a student is always in a highly stressed state, if they're just getting shouted, and, and I'm not saying you, I'm not telling people to yell or not yell. That's not my place. But I'm saying if you yell all the time, you'll keep activation in that old school primal animal part of the brain. Right. right. So doing any sort of high level processing becomes very difficult. And I got to say, this has become such a theme in, in my life. The idea of focus as a skill, especially in a day and age where the most brilliant minds as in, in the world are programming these things that their number one job, and I'm pointing my phone, is their number one job is to take your attention and hold it for as long as they can. So teaching focus as well, that's a cornerstone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they just want to focus somewhere else. That's right. Uh, but That's it's right. focused nonetheless. No, I just, I just think Got it's it. so refreshing. It, it's, so, it's refreshing. And, and it's become very meaningful, whether you are a professional um, or a student. Uh, you, you just forget sometimes that you can't focus. And we've toyed around with you know, the breathing exercise as a, uh, a way of entering a more mindful state. Have you heard of the professor Ellen Langer? Is that a familiar name? It is, but I can't place it. You, you love her. She, she talks about, uh, she wrote, literally wrote the book on mindfulness called Mindfulness. And this oh. is way back, probably before the most recent wave of, of mindfulness-like stuff, you know, all the yeah. apps, all the mindfulness apps. And the first, I want to say, maybe 80 pages of the book are about studies that she ran on mindlessness. So just like, like you were talking about, kind of like if, if just the fact that we are, you know, in the ruler model, the, the rec like the step one is something that we too often just sort of gloss over and glide into the next thing, whatever it might be. And there are real dangers that come along with that, with not paying attention. Right, right, exactly. Well, most people find it very difficult. It's a skill to do it. That's why it's important to teach young children these skills, you know, even before um, um, they get to school. Oh, yeah. My daughter um, is a marriage and family therapist, and she was uh, been teaching for her young child from like one year old 
you know, make a happy face, make a sad face, right. make a, and they would play these games. Uh, but meanwhile, she was learning what emotions were yep. and what they were. And when she was three years old, she was going to preschool for the first time and she tugged at her hand and said, I'm feeling shy right now, mommy. Hmm. Wow. So, so hold on. So the, the lesson here in terms of SEO is uh, my daughter said, that's, you know, normal to feel shy when you go mm -hmm. into a new school. Let's see what happens. She comes back and my daughter said, you were shy when you went in. What happened? She said, I made a friend. There you go. So she said, so from now on, when you get that feeling, that emotion mm -hmm. of shyness, now you know what will happen. You'll make a friend. There you go. So this is a, a small little example of how you teach coping to really young kids like emotions block us or obstacles uh, and we can learn how to overcome them. Yeah. Uh, the younger we are, obviously the better, but, uh, but even our age, we can recognize emotions we're having. Um, you know, there's another skill that's undervalued, not by coaches, it's taught in a very strange way, and that is effort. Oh, wow. Go on. So the, well, there's a wonderful book called The Power of Full Engagement, which I recommend everybody get. The Power of Full Engagement. It's the level that we bring to it in the different ways. I, I, have, uh, I went to Marathon High School football camp a couple of years ago, and... Mm -hmm. August, where I worked these mental skill training workshops for these kids, mm -hmm. um, but also out here, Framingham High School uh, football team. But I did the same thing with sixth graders who I met in a gym in one of those summer, I was asked to speak at this summer thing, in the gym, and I said, why don't you guys line up, run to the other line across the gym, mm -hmm. and then run back. That's all I told them. So they ran, of course, all at their own different speeds because they made choices. And that's how you teach effort, that effort is a choice. Hmm. You have, how much effort am I going to bring to this drill, this hmm. rep that you're doing uh, on a drill? Then I asked, I said to them, I said, so how do you look when you're running as hard as you can? And they would give me answers and you know, and how do you feel? Uh, you know, and they would give me their answers. Mm -hmm. So can you see yourself running as hard as you can, what it looks like? Mm -hmm. and you could tell they all did right away. Sure. So I said, okay, now I'm going to ask you, ask yourself the question. You can, but make a choice. Now you know what it looks like and feels like to run as hard as you can run to the end line or don't. Hmm. So, of course, you can always tell the, the kids that are going to be trouble in class <laughs> who did the opposite, you know, they walked. Right. But, you know, and I said, great, you made a choice. The result is that you're last in the race. That's it. That's it. I like that. <laughs> you know, you're last yeah, in the race, yeah. but at least it's your choice. That's right. You didn't go along. You, did, you, you made an affirmative uh, uh, choice. So... I did that with football teams and the, uh, the, the effort expended first time was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's the reps like a blocking drill, how much effort. Then you transfer it to school. 
So when you get a piece of homework, ask the same question. How much effort am I going to give to this thing? Right. Make a decision. If you're not going to give a lot of effort, which was my case in college and <laughs> I just didn't care, uh, then uh, you're going to get your C's and D's and maybe an occasional lucky D. Uh, but if you make these choices each time, it will uh, assist you in learning how to apply effort when you want to. Yeah. And you have to find that and when that is, you know, what is really matters to you. Usually on sports teams, it does matter. Right. So when you're, I mean, they care. That's why they're there. Sure. They, they want to play well. So then that between focus and effort, you've just taught them two main ingredients to success, mm -hmm. right? Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. But the practicing of it, regularly is a way to do it. These are things that could be in a curriculum that every coach teaches. Create a positive environment, mm -hmm. teach children how to focus by practicing it, like, you know, snapping your fingers, um, and then uh, to get them to realize, oh, I just lost track of even that I was distracted. Right, right. <laughs> right? I was thinking yeah. about my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whatever. Sure. So. Um, the, and then, uh, uh, and then finally effort as another way. And of course there's all of the sports psychology, the, so between creating a positive environment, having uh, a coach who is a facilitator and not a dictator by giving students voice and having a curriculum where you're teaching social emotional learning skills. Mm -hmm including goal setting, visualization, task orientation, all the stuff that's been in sports psychology forever. Sure. But really works uh, in terms of uh, kids, like writing, uh, I always had uh, kids write in a memo pad, um, small little one that fits in the palm of your hand before every practice, three goals they had for that day. Yeah. Detailed, Great. highly detailed, uh, realistic but challenging. Uh, the way if you read about goal setting, if there's very specific things that you want to do, all of them really to um, engage your self-worth. Uh, if you accomplish something, you feel good about yourself. Uh, so if you set small but realistic goals, it's a way of thinking good about yourself, uh, which improves your performance. Just yeah. like creating positive environment does the same thing. If your people are supportive, uh, uh, use the wooden rule of four praises for every uh, critique. Hmm. Um, uh, but with bench players, it was 10 praises for every critique. He would praise oh, wow. his bench players 10 times uh, before he would ever critique them. You know, it's like if you're yeah. doing an 11-man drill in basketball, uh, there's a lot of good passes happening. But if you only focus on the other, just like you were saying about uh, coaches that are always yelling, yeah. People who are always critiquing right. don't get the attention. If you never give praise, you're, you know, it's like, it's, honestly, it's like I've had five dogs. So <laughs> it's the yeah, same. Yeah. There you go. You praise a dog and then they'll, listen, they'll love you forever. <laughs> I mean, it, it, there are, it, it's true. And, and, and there's so much that. Um, it's not kids either as dogs. It's just right. like people, anybody, you praise them, they're your friends. That's it. It's how it works. We all want to be appreciated. There's no doubt about right. that. Exactly. And it's such a good, and, and I'm, I'm going back to 
your uh, your daughter and the the shy idea. So being able to reframe and therefore build some kind of feedback loop that is when I feel shy, there is this potential for a new friend. I love that idea. And, and, and I'm always every so often talking to the, the sort of folks who would push back against words like mindfulness and emotion. And what I'd suggest to them after talking to you is um, it's really clear whether it's the 10 to one wooden rule, the four to one wooden rule, or, or, or your daughter changing shyness to opportunity to make a friend we're always creating some sort of feedback loop. And, it, and, you know, and, and you'd be amazed how many people are go reluctantly kind of plotting out to practice because they think they're going to be yelled at and it's, they think they're just going to be uh, sort of terrorized out there. And the, the idea that, um, that that could somehow be a fruitful, productive environment over the long haul yeah. is probably pretty short-sighted. Mm -hmm. So the only push, I'm going to give you a little pushback in there because I coached sure. for 26 years and I coached I not only the little leagues, the, you know, that we set up for, you know, young children, but then I coached AAU for nine years, uh, high school boys for two years, girls for six. Uh, then I coached division three at the local college here. Um, we went to the NCAAs. I kept looking at the floor. I can't believe I'm in the, the tournament yeah. because yeah. I had never played as except pickup ball. I never played right. on a team, uh, about you know a uh, a high school team, a school team, I should say. I find that ninety to ninety five percent of coaches are well meaning and have fun and are not yelling at kids. Hmm. That's the truth. But, that is, the five, but like most headlines yeah. that you read, uh, it's this small group that, you know, is so horrible that everybody knows about them. Hmm. They're on the news. They're on YouTube. I don't, I, that yeah. uninformed mm -hmm. or don't know how to deal with children uh, is much more widespread. But in terms of well-intentioned, Sure, uh, and and not yelling, but not knowing what to do, as as opposed to not knowing what to do. Sure, uh, uh, I, you know, and even though I, my our AAU team, mm -hmm. uh, we uh, it, that was two teams I was with nine years, but one I was with uh, from um, twelve to seventeen, and we were in the state finals five years in a row, and won three times, and went to these national tournaments and all. I've seen all levels of sure. coaching, sure. and some of them are uh, horrific mm -hmm. and uh, shouldn't be around children, sure. uh, taking out a lot of their frustrations and angers about something else, which reminds me, I went to a social-emotional learning conference. It was very interesting when somebody was mis somebody uh, said, you know, when a child, this is at a, a, one of the breakout sessions, says, you know, when a child is misbehaving and gets angry at you, it's general, and it's talking to teachers, it's actually probably not you. Right. <laughs> and, but, but we as teachers get defensive right away. Mm -hmm. We have our own emotional baggage, et cetera. But what That's that true. child is doing is his entire experience from the moment he was born to the moment he erupted in class is what you're getting. Right. Not that one thing that happened that caused him to have a uh, to, uh, have a behavior problem. outburst or whatever it might have been. That, that's totally fair. And I think that's important for people to keep in mind. I would to address um, 
the observations on coaching, I would wonder if maybe it's, could it be sport dependent in a way? Cause I would, I would say um, the bulk of my coaching has been in football. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's probably more than 5%. You know? So I wonder if it's, yeah, I respect your opinion. I mean, I, I, football was not my, uh, not my sport, sure. uh, but, um, but I can, I can see that happening. And that, think, that's more culture, sport culture, it could much be culture. more militaristic. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it could be just geography too. Literally you're on a big wide open space. You know, maybe there's more wow. projected, you know, it's a big, instead of uh, being contained in a gym where a slight elevation, you know, I don't know, but no, but if I coach for a coach, uh, like you're talking about a screamer and a yeller. I yeah. was an assistant and, uh, he once went into the locker room and started slamming lockers and, you know, and he came out and he says, how do you think that well went? And I said, actually, after you slam the locker, I don't think anyone listened to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not last long on that team. I but the lockers were closed. So I guess it depends uh, what your goals are. Uh, no, it's just like, uh, like who listens to somebody screaming and yelling? I mean, you can't have a rational conversation, especially at halftime to correct problems. Um, so it's a, um, uh, it's a, it's really about uh, having, ch having children be in the company of somebody who's actually teaching them uh, around here the Massachusetts Interscholastic Athletic Association mm -hmm. uses the term educational athletics to describe it, uh, their programming. But sure. it's not. Really? Because no education experience hands off kids to someone without any curriculum. Right. <laughs> right? So yeah. right away, that's not educational. Right. I mean, imagine English class. Yeah, do what the hell you want. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. We, we, I think we fight our own version of that. Favorite book, do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forget about, you know, Lord of the Flies or any of the classics. You don't need to teach that. Just do whatever you want. That's mm -hmm. what we do with coaches. We tell them do what you want. <laughs> That's true. And and what's what's funny is uh, a lot, I got some friends, some good friends in Ireland. I actually played football out there a little while and, and got, made some great, great friends. Wow. Um, they have coaching certifications. Uh, what I recognize is here there are there certainly are coaching certifications there are now there are more and more even like master's programs and sports coaching and things like that so there's there's a push but it's not mandated and a lot of the areas that you um have have mentioned uh who we had someone on maybe i think it was jim kilbasso not too many episodes ago he's up in detroit wonderful guy we were, we were talking about this interesting sort of dilemma that oftentimes when when kids are at their most influential maybe the youth leagues there is, there is the, maybe the least experienced coaches because you bank on volunteers. These are, these are not right. lifetime coach, you know, kind of get off the train right. after work and, and help out. Hence the advantage of the written word. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. What, what was your major in college? Business. Was it? <laughs> yeah, because it was the easiest thing. I, would, I majored in social, I would say. Okay, fair enough. Just social, not sociology or any of that. Just, just social. social. I yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. A self-aware guy. A lot of sports for my fraternity. One winter I was playing three sports, volleyball, basketball, and squash. I love it. And I just never cared much until I went to law school. Then it, it seemed to matter to me a lot more, and I did mm -hmm. well, but I, I just couldn't get involved in it. But 
uh, uh, the bigger the the biggest idea is why does the Department of Education's in fifty states gotten rid of athletics and handed it off to these fifty to sixty year old white guys who are running everything uh, yeah. in sports? Why? Because of a belief that if you do things with your hands and physically, you must be stupid. Hmm. No yeah. point in educating. And it's, this is, again, 19th, uh, 19th century view of people working with manual labor versus in an office. Right. And a certain snobbery started then that went right through the education departments, and there was no point in holding athletics as an education. How about this idea? Right now, there are all of these uh, uh, um, uh, performance sciences, nutrition, kinesiology, mm -hmm. exercise science, sports psychology. Mm -hmm. Why don't we make up an online course that athletes have to take for advanced placement by taking sports, which is the lab hmm. uh, for what you've learned in science. You said it uh, uh, you sent an exercise regimen, a nutritional, you practice sports psychology to replicate the, the experiments that have been done about creating positive environments, etc. Mm -hmm. So uh, now you are a science course. Hmm. The lab is the team. And you get in because you've practiced so much. Like in English, you get into advanced mm -hmm. placement because you read a lot. <laughs> so that's interesting yeah so and and so you take athletics out of this extracurricular mm -hmm. make it a science uh a course where you learn all about these the body and how to perform at your highest sure uh, and of course it's very transferable in anything you do no doubt uh so uh but it also sets a lifetime of healthy living Right. Well, that's a, that could be a podcast on its own, no doubt. Right. So that's the that's what PE tries to do, and, sure. and they have a curriculum, by the way. Right. They have a curriculum, but not sports. It's, it's funny. The uh, we've more and more started to work in the physical education and the health realm. Right. Um, and, I know. And I think that the. Oh, by the way, Appherd. You know that that group. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. 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 Gulick started that. Oh, did really? Yeah, that's his. Oh, wow. And this guy is, was amazing. Prolific. Also, unfortunately, he believed in eugenics. Oh, jeez. <laughs> right. So everybody's got a flaw. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, it, it, it's, uh, we got to look this guy up. We've written down his name a couple times here. But um, one thing that, that I think you've kind of identified uh, implicitly is this potential that we see and try to give to people if, whenever possible. There is a curriculum within physical education. There right. seems to be more motivation in athletics. So if those worlds could blend, like what a perfect learning platform you might have. It's true. I mean, that's a good point. And I, uh, I'm not sure how, I mean, any, even in physical education, when you have games within yep. the thing, it becomes, because people like competition. They don't yep. abhor it. They like it. Sure. Um, and even, even those that lose, they still like it. I yeah, mean, I, you know, so there's a range within that, of course. You know, some people not but like all things. Like yeah. all things, that's right. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, but uh, competitiveness um, uh, uh, is a human trait. That's right. Right, and that's right. So, you know, we really. Uh, I mean, I'm. People say when I do this, that's some of the pushback. 
oh, a trophy for everyone. Right. First of all, everyone might deserve a trophy because the people who show up could have all kinds of issues in that they're actually out there. I, I, my, my daughter was on the diving team. She's a, you know, she was 16 years old and she's standing in front of 300 people in a bathing suit. Yep. That takes a lot. That takes some guts. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That, so yeah. we, when we say that, we'll, you know, uh, uh, some people actually deserve a, pro, a trophy for just showing up because yeah. that is a huge deal for them. Well, and I think to kind of marry those two camps, uh, the key to that sort of mindset would be identifying what it is that you've just done, which kind of is a theme to all of this, whether it's emotion, recognizing an emotion for um, the ability to utilize it or whatever. But like your daughter, I do think if you didn't get first place, you probably don't deserve a first place trophy. Right. But, right. but if there is a, but if, but if there's some sort of obstacle that's been overcome, um, maybe that deserves a different sort of trophy. So the, tro the, the anti-trophy for everyone, I think there is some validity to that. Uh, but the recognizing people's successes regularly, there's obviously validity to that. And right. you're a lawyer, so you get this. It's all in the language, really. You know, what are we, what are we recognizing them for? Because there certainly does. When you get to the back end of an experience together, and I'm sure I could say this if I had to reflect on every powerlifting team, every football team, every team that I've been a, a, a part of or coached, that everyone on that, in that group that made it from start to end had to, had to overcome something, had to demonstrate something, whether it's, you know, uh, grit or growth mindset or, or whatever it might be, as long as we name it well and recognize for that, then I think we probably have taught or, and, and awarded for a, right. a, a life lesson. Well, it's like uh, language being something where they call social emotional learning soft skills. Talk right. about Talk about uh, a put down. Put, yes, you can't do that. Down. <laughs> it's so obvious. Yeah. You know, it's like being called a do-gooder. Uh, soft skills, like walking away from a fight is probably the hardest thing a lot of people can do. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, so it's just a misnomer. I, wherever I see it, I write, how about trying people skills? Because that's yeah. really what we're talking about. Communication skills, right. stress management. Get, how about get through the world Empath successfully skills? Right. Empathy. Like yeah. understanding where other people are coming from. That's the, you know, to be a good salesperson, you have to have empathy. That's right. You have to actually think about it from somebody else's perspective. Right. And um, right now, so I'm, president of the Social Emotional Learning Alliance for Massachusetts. Yep. But you in Chicago have Social Emotional Learning Alliance for Illinois. Love S it. SEL number four IL dot org. We um, also have a social emotional learning uh, for the United States, SEL for us.org. And there are 14 states copying what we've been doing for the past six years here. Love that which is uh, working with legislature. Uh, we've been appointed as a permanent member of the Promote Prevent Commission mm. uh, of the legislature and Governor Baker signed it into law. With, and we're the upstream prevention. Do you, you, do you know what upstream uh, or maybe you're... Conceptually, I do. Don't. So yeah. upstream prevention yeah. is you're standing there and, and, uh, and you notice a child is drowning in a pond, so you jump in uh, and you save that child. And then another comes down uh, from down the stream and also gets in. And then 
your neighbors come in trying to save children. They're constantly saving children. Uh, and then one person goes upstream and puts a dam there. <laughs> and there's no more children <laughs> right. going right. in and drowning. Right. <laughs> so right. upstream prevention is programs that stop it before it begins. And mm -hmm. social-emotional learning is one of those uh, ideas uh, that is an educational process that at the same time teaches emotional intelligence. So if you're in business, you know that term mm -hmm. because human resources said we have to ask when we interview people uh, questions that involve emotional intelligence, like how you work with other people. Mm -hmm. how you communicate. We have to pay attention to that when we hire. There's a wonderful website called the eiconsortium.org. It's Rutgers uh, University, and it's, emotion, it's the Center for Research on Emotional Intelligence in Organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, and they show you that if you hire the way I just described, that, that, that the person you hired will stay longer, come back quicker from illness, mm. and be more productive than somebody you hire for content. Yep. Like what they know, as mm -hmm. opposed to how they deal, right? So, uh, all, uh, so in business, it's emotional intelligence. In religion, it's compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. It's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Oh, wow, yeah. Right? So that's where SEO, for sports, it's what we've just been describing. Sure. Understanding uh, how you perform at your uh at your best, creating positive environments to do that and teach skills like task orientation. The little things matter. How many times have you said that as a coach? Uh, <laughs> plenty. That's right. Um, it's, you know, like the drop step. It's so important because you score if you do it right. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly uh, right. So um, in every facet, Social-emotional learning plays a part in business and religion and sports, no major parts of our lives, that, but mainly in relationships with our loved ones uh, and how we communicate and how we recognize, oh, we're just being jealous right now or we're just being uh, upset for another reason that we can identify, you know, recognize, understand why, label, express, and then regulate. If hmm. you go through those steps, um, uh, it becomes uh, really important. Uh, and I think everyone who should, like, I hope they go on SEO for us.org mm -hmm. to see if there's a state uh, in, like Illinois has one up and running. Yeah. Uh, but the, we give all kinds of technical help to new places to start their own websites, hmm. uh, you know, a whole technical toolkit. Uh, but also, we, in 12 hours uh, uh, on a piece of legislation important to FCL, generated 437 emails to legislators wow. about the importance of this bill, and they got, they got a lot of sponsors from it in the past uh, because of these action alerts. So it's an educational advocacy group uh, mm -hmm. that uh, Social Emotional Learning for Mass, but also all of these others, Connecticut, Illinois, Delaware, um, Do you know, Texas, California—they're yeah. all—they're uh, all up and running. And, and how would one get involved with something like that? 
Well, first of all, none of them cost money to join. Sure. If you join, it's leverage in the legislature because I have a constituent in your district. There it is. <laughs> They're very interested in that, especially if you have numbers of them. So I encourage people to join just for the leverage point of view. Sure. Uh, but there's each one of them is looking for volunteers. Like we have 2,000 members in Massachusetts. Wow. And um, uh, uh, a whole bunch of committees, like one in a bunch of college professors working to change the requirement that teachers know how to embed it in their subject matter. Mm, yeah. For instance, uh, when I use this with a pastor that I met with this week about SEL and religion, it was like, so Moses stuttered. How do you think he felt about that? <laughs> <laughs> right? I like that. And then he had his brother have to speak for him because he couldn't even speak. So Aaron had to speak for him. Hmm. So this is the way you teach SEL in, embedded in stuff like World War I, a bunch of relatives couldn't get along and they started arguing with each other. Hmm. You delve into it, that's how 10 million people died. Wow. You know, because of no emotional, you know, everything was based on emotion. So you read a story to your kid, you look for the emotion in the story and then you say, oh, have you ever felt like that? Now they're learning empathy. Yeah. Uh, so this all goes into the same thing with sports because we have, like, I once did a thing with the college, the college team and I had them do an exercise of all the negative thoughts they had last season. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was with teammates, with sure. themselves, mm -hmm. with the coaching staff, you know? So yeah. now that we know that, how do we work against that? Right. And, you know, so how do we... Because the season comes along, and it's honestly, it's like the Bible. There's all kinds of retribution. Oh, wow. And, and it's all kinds of things happening during the season. It's a melodrama, right? Sure. So that's mm -hmm. how uh, we appeal because they get, I mean, any, anybody's going to get that. Anybody, any one of your players is going to get the melodrama of it. It's so important, I, and I'm, it's occurring to me that, that maybe there needs to be an SEL for politics uh, that equips people with the language of perspective taking and, and unbreaking. Blown out of the water. I mean, this is it's a question of, of the moral universe that you know. Yeah. The right and wrong of everything is in question right now. That's the truth. Wow. There's a yeah. huge, every single thing that you believe in is under fire. Under fire. So the question is whether or not we do something about it. Yeah. That's nope. it. And it all comes back to that. It's all self-reliance and self-awareness and then essentially deciding on tools, enhancing tools for, to be at people's disposal and then making right. a decision to use them. Right. And, and it's bringing it out of the, the education community into the community as a whole. That's I right. just started a project here in Newton, my town, uh, called Social Emotional Learning for Newton. Okay. Uh, and it's going into making sure that parents understand these skills that are being taught so they can reinforce them. But if they saw them at Trader Joe's mm. and at Whole Foods and they saw signage everywhere, being positive is a skill. You have to practice it. That's it. You know, messaging like that, like have your child make a happy face and a sad face. They identify emotions, just short quips. Mm. Everywhere they go, that's what I'm, that's what we're, gonna try here it's totally normalize it right what 
just totally normalize it, right? That's well, how you put right. it. Make it uh, well, that would come much later. At first, yeah. it's like making them aware of it. Right. Like, people don't even know what social-emotional learning is. They don't know it's a, a, an educational process. When, right. when I talk to business people, they know about emotional intelligence, but they never heard of that. They hadn't heard of that. That's right. Well, the, the, if they worked, if they were smart, business leaders would work to shape the workforce they want because now they have people who are actually trying to get what they want, emotionally intelligent people. That's so, it. You know, so it's very well, exciting work. I, it is exciting work. And I really hope people have taken, like, taken this seriously because it's not a soft skill. It's a very challenging thing to do. You know, the conversations that come out of this can be tough. The confrontations that you have within yourself making these decisions can be very challenging. So I, I would suggest that to any coaches who want to put this into the soft category are missing something. You know, they're missing right. an opportunity to enhance their culture, potentially to win games if that's really what their goal is. You know, it, it's, it's sort of all enhancing. Our um, first conference was called Adults Having Difficult Conversations. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I would... I, I mean, when your staff, when your staff, you, you're, you're hesitating, what should I say? How should I say it? Uh, uh, what's the best way to say that, uh, you know, his decision-making was less than I would want right. uh, as an assistant? Uh, these are difficult conversations to have and the way you put it, uh, you know, with them and whether you ask them uh, for a little self-awareness on their part as to how they think they did and where, you know, the way you approach yeah. it means everything to both them and you because you want to make changes, you know, because somebody makes a mistake, you don't want to fire them, you want to improve them like anybody and who's playing for you. That's so uh, it's difficult. And a very, very difficult. The soft skill, I think, was put on by, you know, somebody who didn't appreciate that. And he called them soft skills. Maybe also, so. I have to say, thought it was womanly. Probably so. Right. A soft yeah. skill, you know. Uh, and, and by the way, women are better than men in social-emotional learning skills. There's no question about it. There's no uh, doubt. Uh, but the person tried to make it appear like if you do that, and this goes to you, the football culture you're talking about, yeah. that you're, you're sort of feminine if you care about those things, as opposed to this is hard work. Like right. imagine getting the kind of effort that I described in that drill where every rep you ask yourself before the rep, how hard am I going to do this? That's right. Every time, not sometimes. Right. <laughs> you get it. That's a mindset that you get in. I always give 100%. I love that. I always do it. Uh, and I practice doing it. Like right. I think about it, it's a conscious, uh, conscious decision that I make. So I love that. Well, I hope anyone who has, has been with us uh, in this conversation will, will, do that will make the conscious decision to include this stuff in their lives, in their teachings. Me too. Uh, yeah, Me too. I think though, once you, once you Google social emotional learning, there's no going back. There's no going, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's true, man. Yeah, it well, absolutely takes over your life. <laughs> it does. And you can't help but think about it. So I, I, I gotta tell you, I really do. I just appreciate it. I appreciate your work when we, when we, um, we've talked about it. Um, I think Alex, honestly, who is, who is an incredible coach, I'm patting him on the back. He's right here, an incredible coach and has been for years. Um, I, I, I'm not sure he was totally familiar with the term social SEL, you right. know, 
Um, so, but I think does it, like you said, does it well naturally. But uh, Right, exactly. But when you teach it to the kids that they're doing what we're talking about, that that's right. they are doing it, uh, it's a whole other ball game. That's right. So, Pun intended. Oh, look at this. <laughs> look at that. Perfect. <laughs> Clearly not your first time on a podcast. That's a wrap. <laughs> that's, that was well done. I like that. So, but very sincerely, thank you for doing what you're doing. Awesome meeting you both. Sincere, I, I sincerely agree. So thanks for everything. Uh, thank you. We'll, we'll keep the conversation going for sure. All right. Great. All right, have a great thanks. night. You too. Bye-bye. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.